Welcome to a new episode of the More Than a Monolith podcast. I am your host, Shana Henry. Today's guest is Suji Shin, Deputy Executive Director for the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. In her role, she spearheads specific statewide initiatives and helps to lead direct technical assistance efforts to districts. Additionally, her oversight of research and evaluation initiatives help districts and schools improve equity, access, opportunity, and outcomes for students. Today, we're connecting about data exploration and the actions some districts are taking to see positive movement. Suji Shin, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm super excited to talk about all of the things that your background lends itself to just because it's an area that's really passionate of mine. So we'll get to that in a minute. But before we get into too much of that, would you mind kicking us off by telling us a little bit about you and your background? Sure. Gosh, I don't, you know, it's always hard when you ask that to know exactly where to start, right? You know, I would say I come from this space currently being the Deputy Executive Director with the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. And there's a lot there. In fact, we're a small statewide independent agency that's really focused on technical assistance for districts. Um, that said, I would say my background really is in research and technical assistance. I've supported districts and states across the country, um, really tackle that work of tying in instruction to assessment, to curriculum, to overall accountability systems that ultimately serve all of their students. And part of that work really gets into the heart of how do we examine data and evidence in meaningful ways? How do we do it in a way that you can actually make broad decisions, right? Because you do need to aggregate them up to make policy, to make decisions on behalf of you mm-hmm. know, a school or a district or a state. At the same time, how do you get into the details, uh, detailed enough to get a sense of understanding who you're serving, what their particular needs are, right? And that's always a tricky balance beam. You know, I think we veered a little bit away. Maybe I'll save a little bit more of that for later in the conversation. I think, you know, you asked a little bit my, about my background, and I think that kind of sums it up. I started off as a classroom teacher in LA Unified. And, you know, I think about those fourth and fifth graders that I served as a well-meaning, um, but, you know, unlearned teacher, right? Myself as a 22-year-old first coming into the classroom. And the sort of struggles that I had in really thinking about how do I serve the needs of each one of these 36 kids in my classroom while still moving, you know, my classroom forward, right? And I think about that every day as we think about that on district and uh, state levels. So I'm curious, since you you have been an, an educator, you've been a teacher in the classroom, when you reflect back, knowing what you know now, and you think back what would you say, what were we missing back then that you might be helping districts and schools figure out now? You know, I think something that we've always done poorly in education, and I would say that we we don't do it well now yet, right, is really involving all the partners who should have a voice in some of the decision-making that happens on behalf of students and families and teachers and classrooms at the table at the beginning, 
right? You know, a lot of what I remember uh, having been in the classroom was just, you just get your marching orders. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we always used to laugh in something, you know, we always like laughed in sort of the district offices. Like you go into a school site and, you know, uh, the school site is a little mini fiefdom, right? And the principal rules it all. And then the teachers go on into their classroom, they can close their doors and the teacher sort of rules it all there. There's a lot, there's a lot of separation sometimes in the decision making and understanding what you're doing and why on behalf of students. And I think that speaks to some disconnect. You know, when you don't feel like the decisions or what you're being charged to do, that that you're not part of that decision-making process, it's easy to disconnect that from your everyday activity, kind of what you think is right and how you're moving your students forward, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I... Yeah, I think a lot about that now. And I think in our work, there's been all around a much bigger shift in terms of having the right voices at the table earlier on. But I think we can do a better job of that even now, right? You know, how do we bring students in to talk about, you know, what they want to learn, what works for them, how they want to, what's meaningful for them, um, especially in older grades when so much of the decision-making, what they learn, how it's graded, um, what is used to make decisions for tracking, how they graduate, you know, impacts their lives the most. And yet they often don't really get a say in that process until sometimes way too late. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking about the the work you help districts do now. I'm imagining that the analysis of the data is only as good as the data that is collected. And so when we think about um, our AAPI communities within districts and schools, and you have your lens of equity, what is your message to districts when it comes to collecting that big umbrella of the AAPI data? Yeah, gosh, that's a good one. I think, you know, I think part of what we struggle with is collecting data in a way that allows us then to dig in deeper, right, into understanding how to examine and look at data. I think, you know, with AAPI data, you know, so often it's all just kind of lumped into this umbrella of AAPI, you know, students. And, you know, I mean, you and I know uh, there are so many student groups within the AAPI population. Mm -hmm. And those groups have very different, you know, trajectories of having come to the U.S. Um, They often have very different community relationships. Um, They have different histories of where they have settled and the impact of how they have settled in the States has on their you know, their school, the relationships with school and um, political bodies. And I think to lump that all in, you erase all of those very nuanced, I think, characteristics of what performance looks like, how to best address needs, how to even create opportunities for, you know, parent, student, family, community engagement um, by lumping this under, you know, what works for one student group is not going to work for everybody in that AAPI population. And, you know, we often see that treated as the case because, you know, because of the numbers. So that sounds like a unnecessary, but a heavy lift. So do, do you think it's a reasonable ask of districts? Are we, are we asking too much to say we need more dissected data? You know, it is a heavy lift and it's also not. 
right? I think a lot of times when we're talking about collecting student information, we're already collecting that. We're already often collecting mm-hmm. that data. It's about how we use that data, right? I think, you know, we set sometimes these arbitrary sort of thresholds of, you know, an, an, a minimum N, right? We talk about that all mm-hmm. the time. You know, anything under a minimum N of like 30 is going to be suppressed. We're just going to roll it up into that next subgroup. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that makes a lot of sense for uh, some of the accountability and reporting decisions where you want um, a statistically sound enough number, right, mm-hmm. in order to make large policy decisions or uh, kind of be able to generalize, you know, this is what's happening for like, this large body. Um, so that absolutely makes sense. But when you're talking about a small school community or even at the district level, I do think it is important um, to parse it down a little bit further. These are internal conversations you're having about, you know, what does the mom community that I'm serving here, you know, in XYZ district, you know, what are their needs? What are their students look mm-hmm. like? What are the community sort of conversations versus maybe the Japanese American population that I'm also um, serving, right? I think mm-hmm. those are nuanced conversations. And I think it is important to really to dive deeper into that work. And again, it doesn't mean that you're reporting out at that level, but that's a, to me a really different conversation of like how you use the data that you're already collecting. Mm-hmm. So I I know the data is broad and this is going to be a very big question, but I'm thinking as you're talking about all the areas we collect data from achievement to absenteeism to graduation rates, like there's just behavioral, so much data that we collect. And I'm thinking about the AAPI umbrella, 50 plus ethnicities that fall under that umbrella. Off the top of your head, um, (laughs) right? This is going to be a big one because you do so much data all the time is, where have you seen some discrepancies that um, have stood out to you within the umbrella? Sure. You know, I think, um, I think in general, mm-hmm. right. And not just in our state. Um, but I, I think it is kind of stereotypically, we often fall into this sort of general understanding or acceptance that Asian American Pacific Islanders kind of broader like Asian students, right? I'm going to use that kind of as an umbrella term for how we might come mm. it. They do better, right? Right. I think, you know, it's like that same kind of model minority trope, but it's, I think in general, we sort of see like, oh my gosh, you know what? On the CAF scores, they look great. Right. You know, chronic absenteeism, they've scored sort of lower than, you know, um, our state average, you know, and they often do really well. Their attendance scores high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, by lumping that student group together, it looks like, gosh, we don't have to worry about them. Let's focus on the places we know we've seen high chronic absenteeism, where we've seen really low engagement, where we have seen, you know, low or spotty, you know, gaps in um, achievement. But when you actually take apart some of that data, even within the AAPI community, like you said, you know, 50 plus sort of different groups that we're actually talking about here, we see some real discrepancies. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some of our Asian um, API student groups actually score I was just recently taking a look at the chronic absenteeism data. Right. And again, you, you look at kind of API in general. They look great. When you actually dive deeper, you see actually kind of a bimodal distribution, like two sort of groups where you've got one set of um, student groups, you know, a bundle of them 
who do look really great, you know, um, really low chronic absenteeism, you know, and on the other hand, you've got a group with incredibly high mm. chronic absenteeism, far higher than, you know, the vast majority of the state, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the kind of place where, you know, I would really push us to push further in, into that data and not let kind of these, you know, monoliths stand for this very diverse body of students that just happen to be hidden because they appear in smaller numbers in our districts. Mm -hmm. So because we're not quite there yet, mm -hmm. and as you support districts, I'm thinking about equity plans with our districts and how mm -hmm. Typically, they're using data to help craft their action plans. What can we do within our districts if we don't have that really unpacked data? What mm -hmm. can we do to make sure that our equity plans are representative of our AAPI students and action plans that are really going to be meaningful for them? Yeah, I think it's to maybe where we started off this conversation around opportunity to provide input and engage in that process, right? I think um, how, what steps, what tangible specific steps are we putting into our planning process to truly engage some of our student groups and their families and parents in that kind of goal setting process and understanding, you know, what's working and not and what's not working. And when I say engagement, I really push all of us to think beyond just providing an invitation and waiting for them to walk in through the door. I think it's very, very important, especially for some of our the student groups and some of the populations that we serve who are have not been used to sitting at that decision making table, who have not felt um, invited for whatever reason, right? That yeah. there has to be more than just well, the door is open. You know, that's not enough. Mm. You sometimes have to go out there and really figure out what will it take to get them through that door? Because there may be barriers to coming through that door that we're not even realizing, right? I think language is a barrier, but so is sometimes, you know, in some cultures, you know, I think, I think of my own, right? I grew up as a Korean American immigrant. I'm first generation, you know, my parents never kind of interfered in that school process. It would have never occurred mm. to them to. And for them, it was not because they were not engaged in education, but it was because they had such utmost respect, right, for the school system. So Who true. were they possibly mm -hmm. to tell the school or the teacher, you know, what I needed or what they, you know, what they should be doing for me? They truly would walk in and, you know, if, any, if anybody ever reached out, it was just, gosh, we need to follow what you, we're going to do whatever they're saying. Right. And this must be right. They've got the, you know, they know what's best for you. Um, you know, I think I would have loved to have seen them, you know, more engaged. I think, I, I think of times when I know they were incredibly worried, you know, I'll share a little anecdote. When I first came in to the school system, I was incredibly shy. I also didn't speak English and they thought I was deaf. Oh, wow. <laughs> You know, but my parents, I mean, the school system sort of laid this out. And so, you know, I went through hearing test after hearing test, right? Mm -hmm. My parents knew I could hear. I mean, I could hear fine at home and they knew that, but it would never have occurred to them mm -hmm. to go to the school and say, I think you're wrong. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think, you know, what are we doing 
to pull right. those folks into the conversation. How do we really create not just inviting or just open or available spaces, mm-hmm. but compelling spaces mm-hmm. um, for the partners that we need to make decisions on behalf of students? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story, by the way. So as we think about our educators, I'm curious, what would you advise us? So if anyone's listening right now saying, I, I want to make a move, I want to do something, I want to make change. What are ways we can be advocating for this push to say, we need better data? I would say the first step I would really push us to think about is, it may not even be a matter of more data. You know, I think we're an incredibly data rich state mm. that has been really afraid to use certain kinds of data. I would push us to think, let's not be afraid of the data that we have and really create space, um, vulnerable space for us to step inside mm. and be unafraid of examining that data. I think oftentimes people have this feeling that, gosh, once they start to take a look at the data, it could be used against them. You know, there's a lot of fear around data. Well, I don't even want to go look into that because my gosh, if I uncover something, then I've got to do something about it. And I want us to give ourselves permission to say, I may not know what to do, but I need to know what's going on, you know, in my schools, in my district, with, you know, with my students. I think for me, that's the first space. How do we give ourselves that collective space to do that? How do we then give ourselves a collective space then to come back together and say like, my gosh, this is what I've, my, I've uncovered in our data. You know, this is what I now see. I see these gaps. I, I've uncovered these patterns that I didn't know existed in my students. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. Right. And allow ourselves that, that freedom, right. To be yeah. able to say, I have a need and I don't know what to do with. I think there's so much incredible pressure on our school and district or educational leaders right now. They've got to solve everything. And I, and I get it, you know, the schools now take on so much of the burden, you know, socio emotionally, financially, you know, health and nutritionally, um, as well as academically for our students. Yeah. And that's a lot of burden at a time when capacity is an all-time low, you know, funding. Yes, we're in a uh, kind of a funding-rich moment at this very particular moment, but we're not in general in terms of how we fund schools, right? And I think that incredible pressure often creates a space where leaders shy away from examining, you know, really what's happening any more than they absolutely have to, you know, because it's legally required or because it's part of the accountability system that we've all, you know, bought into. So, yeah, I think just how do we give ourselves, um, again, that space, ability to be courageous and be vulnerable? Oh my gosh, you've left me with so much to think about after our conversation today. So thank you for that. Um, we always wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So sweaty. we had some heavy talk and now we're going to end a little light. So Great. no need to sweat. These are going to be fun <laughs> and we'll see where it goes. What's the last show you binged and loved? Oh, yeah. all right. Shana, I'm a little embarrassed, but 
I have just uh, finished uh, watching uh, season three of Never Have I Ever. It's a <laughs> fantastic show. show. <laughs> I just love everything about it. I, I love, um, you know, I love seeing such a diverse cast of students, mm. right? Kids like portrayed in that way. I would have loved this show. Yes. And, you yes. know, I think about that all the times I watched that. There's so much that resonated with me that I just didn't have. Um, but yes, absolutely love it. Yeah. What is at the top of your bucket list? Oh, um, I love traveling and I'd love to travel more. So I don't know that there's like one place for, you know, but I think just hitting off as many countries and places, things I've read about as possible. What is your walk-up song? Um, (laughs) I might have to pass on this one. Okay. You know, the first class we've had. Okay. You'll have to email me or get back to me after you think about that one. All right. What's the best advice you've ever been given? I had a boss once when um, I remember going into a really high pressure situation. We were really struggling. We were supporting a school district on some really tense negotiations. And there was so much... Uh, at stake. I felt such incredible pressure that I was just kind of making myself sick about it. And I remember, you know, he had some really great advice. And he, he said, you need to give yourself permission not to know every answer. Right. Mm. And I think about that all the time. You know, I don't know about you, but I was, I was that AP kid in school that skipped like <laughs> two grades of math. Right. I, it was, I think I did really um, internalize this feeling of like, I always had to have the answer and the right answer, but really hearing from him, like there, there's not a buzzer that goes off. You don't like fall down yeah. and shoot because you've got the wrong answer. It's okay to be able to come in and truly listen um, and be thoughtful and not feel like you've got to hit a buzzer with like got the answer. Um, and that's something that I still carry. I, I think there's still a part of me that always feels like they've got to have like some right answer to something big and small, right? It's like, what's for dinner? You got to have the right answer. Um, so how are you going to solve the world's problems? Like unpack data. I'm going to have the right answer. And sometimes it's really like, it's okay to sit. I'm not sure, but I'm going to work with you to figure out what we're going to do together. Oh, that is so good. Okay. Last question. As we encourage ongoing learning about our AAPI community, give us a recommendation of something to read, listen to, or watch. You know, there is, um, Gosh, I think I'm sure you know Tommy Chang. He just turned mm-hmm. me on to his um, podcast, Miss Education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. um, I have been loving it. You know, it's also, uh, you know, it's these three childhood friends who are really connecting around these issues that have to do with, you know, lots of things. But amongst that, you know, education, they all have been in that education space. They're all coming from, you know, somewhat similar, but also different kind of perspectives in that um, Asian American space. And really, I, I love like, that sort of tenor of it because they're sort of relaxed and they're jokey, but mm-hmm. they also get the heart of some really deep issues. So um, if you haven't heard it, for those of you who are listening now, I would really definitely give that a try. It's miseducation. Yes, I listened to a couple episodes. Really good. Really, really good. Yeah. Suji, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an enlightening conversation. Shana, thank you so much. It's been um so much fun to actually sit here on a Saturday afternoon with you. Yes. 
This season of More Than a Monolith is sponsored by Parsec Education, an educational technology company that creates cloud-based data warehouses and combines them with outstanding visualization to put the data you need right at your fingertips. Their goal is to transform education by empowering educators to spend less time gathering and interpreting the data and more time implementing it. Check them out in the link in the show notes.